We want to welcome everybody. Welcome Smyrna Campus, everybody connecting online. We're glad you've connected with us today. We are continuing actually near the end of a series we're doing called Be Encouraged as we're going through the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're getting near the end of that letter uh, this week and the next week will be the last in this series. And then we'll begin that Hope is Here series connected to Back to Church Sunday. There was a, a pastor that was uh, talking to his congregation at the end of a service one Sunday. He said, now next Sunday, I want you to prepare for the message. I'm going to be preaching on the sin of lying. And I want you to prepare for the message. Between now and next week, I want you to read Mark chapter 17 and then come back ready for the message. Well, a week goes by. He gets up to start the message that Sunday. And he said, how many of you prepared by reading Mark chapter 17? And a bunch of hands went up. The pastor just smiled and he said, Mark only has 16 chapters. <laughs> so I'm going to begin today by talking about the need to repent from the sin of lying. Uh, today's message is called the uh, true repentance. True repentance. Because I think there's a misunderstanding of what repentance really is. In Matthew uh, 3 and in Luke's gospel as well, we have a record of Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, that's the concept that Paul is talking about as we look to the, the ending of this letter. Remember the first letter, he called on them to repent, to make a lot of changes, to, to correct some things in their lives that had not been what they needed to be, and they had made a lot of progress as a church family in that area. But now he wants to, as he finishes up this letter, he's wanting to really remind them that repentance is more than just feeling sorry because you messed up. It's more than just asking for forgiveness because you got caught. That there's got to be more of a fruit being shown that true repentance has occurred. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, part of the letter has been now addressing this idea that many of those at the church at Corinth had, had started that process, had been making some changes, but a problem had come up. There were these false apostles, these false teachers that had come into the church. And they were trying to tell the people they don't need to listen to Paul, and Paul's not really uh, got the authority to be an apostle and tell you what to do. And some of them had been backsliding again and listening to these false apostles and this false teaching. And so Paul is trying to call them to continue that process of showing true repentance. We're going to pick up in, uh, in this 12th chapter in verse 11. Uh, but before we do, I want you to think about how easy it is to, in the heat of the moment, make decisions or promises and then not really, after the heat of the moment is over, you don't follow through. You, you don't stay consistent with it over time. And, and Paul wants to encourage them that they don't let that happen. They got off to this good start of repenting and changing, but, but now they don't seem to be following through like they need to. And, and he's not going to just let it slide. He's not going to ignore the fact that they're, they're not really following through. So in, in the passage we're going to be looking at today, I think there are three things we can see here that are evidences that Paul's encouraging them to demonstrate in their lives that true repentance has occurred. That they're really following through because repentance requires the follow-through action that's needed. 
So let's pick up here in uh, chapter 12 and verse 11. Let's look first at uh, 11 through 15. Paul says, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. He's still using some humor here, okay? I ought to have been commended by you, for I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I'm nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Now remember the context. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, he's, he's saying he's had to give credentials for himself as an apostle. He didn't want to do that, but he's had to do it because these false apostles are accusing him of not being a real apostle. And now he's, he's still on that, uh, the, that teaching about, I have demonstrated to you that I am a true apostle. I do have the credentials. And now here's what you need to be willing to do under me. It's the first step in showing true repentance. And it's a willingness to accept correction. A willingness to accept correction from those God has put over you to teach you and instruct you and, and set an example for you. A willingness to accept correction. One of the things I think that has happened in our culture is we have redefined repentance to be pretty much just that tearful, I'm so sorry, I really messed up, please forgive me. And we've called that repentance. When in fact, true repentance, as we've said already, is not just the feeling sorry part. You can be sorrowful and not truly repent in the scriptural definition of repentance. You can ask for forgiveness for what you did wrong without repenting scripturally uh, in the way God would want you to repent. You see, repentance, the word at the root means to turn around and go a different direction. So it's not just at the direction you're going saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and still going that direction, still doing those things. Repentance would be, I stop going that direction. I stop doing those things, taking that action. And I turn and I make the changes to start going a different direction. There is correction in repentance. And the trend in the church today is, and I love it, it was needed, grace, grace, grace. And grace is amazing. That, that song is so true. God's grace is so amazing. But because of the emphasis now on grace so heavily in our churches, there's very little call to change and repentance and correction in people's lives. In fact, people get so easily offended when you try to teach them that they need to make changes in their lives. That it's not okay to just keep going the direction they want to go. That they'll just leave your church and go find somebody else that will tell them what they want to hear. Uh, that's what 
Paul is warning them about and encouraging them not to do. You see, these false apostles seem to be telling them, you don't need to listen to Paul and the correction that he's trying to bring to your life. Listen to us. We know better than Paul. Everything's good, right? We like to hear people tell us when they look at us and talk to us and and are talking about our lives, it's all good, man. It's all good. And Paul wasn't that kind of teacher. He wasn't that kind of teacher because he cared too much about people to tell them it was all good when it was not all good. I know as a pastor, and almost every pastor I talk to, I've had people in their, their congregations where they pastor who have come to them and said, uh, I just want you to make us, you know, I, I, I want you to make us feel good. I come to church to feel good. Well, maybe you're coming for the wrong reason. Now, it's true we need to be encouraged, but we shouldn't be encouraged at the expense of not receiving the correction that we need to receive. What should make us feel good is that a teacher, a pastor, or in this case, the Apostle Paul, cares enough about us to set us straight when we've gotten off track. He cares enough about us to teach us here's what's wrong and why it's wrong, but not just that, here's what's right, and you need to start doing that instead of continuing in the way you're going now. That's correction, that's discipline, and it's never easy to receive that. Uh, The Hebrew writer said it in Hebrews 12, verse 11. He said, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, right? Discipline's painful at the time. You remember, you may have said this yourself, you know, you're disciplining a child. This hurts me more than it hurts you, right? And as a child, I always thought, that's crazy. This, This hurts me a lot more than it's hurting you. I can tell you that, right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, he says, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You see, discipline is correction with the idea of training to do better. Training to do better. So there has to be the correction, the getting back on track for you to be trained in life so that the result can be righteousness and peace in your life. It's hard when you receive the discipline, but if it leads to righteousness and it leads to peace, isn't it valuable to have that correction? Someone who cares enough about you to bring you that correction in your life? And Paul's trying to tell them, I love you so much. I've been willing to sacrifice. I didn't even take uh, offerings from you to support me. I let other churches take care of me while I was ministering with you and working with you. You didn't have to do any of that. I wasn't a burden to you in any way. I just wanted what was best for you. And yet here they are not wanting to accept his correction in their lives. Not wanting to receive the discipline. Now, we have to be careful who we allow to bring correction into our lives. That's true. Because there are, as Paul was already telling them, false teachers out there, false apostles, false uh, messages of correction out there. And part of the danger of the church today is we're allowing the world and the culture bring correction to us their way instead of letting the source of correction be the word of God. 
Listen to 2 Timothy 3 where Paul told Timothy this in verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should be ready and open to receiving discipline and correction when it is in agreement with God's word. If God's word teaches it, then we need to be open to receiving the correction that it brings to our lives. Instead of running after people who will tell us what we want to hear. Running after people who will endorse what we're wanting to do anyway. You see, that's not correction. That's not correction. So if we're open to discipline and correction in our lives, then we ought to go to a source that we know we can depend on. And, and Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. That means what we have here in this Bible comes very directly from the breath and the mouth of God himself. So if it says it here, where did it come from? What's the source? It's God. It's not Pastor Randy says this. It's not that teacher says this or that. If it's here, it's from God. It's from his breath. And even if the culture's changed, if, if, if the church teaching has changed where you're going to church or whatever, uh, if you want correction in your life, where are you gonna, where, what test are you going to put things to? You're going to put it to the test of what does God's word say about that? Different views on gender and marriage and different views on money and work and different views on, on friendship. And yeah, all these different views that the culture is trying to, to get everybody to adopt and buy into. What does God's word say about that? You see, it's easy for us to get off track. It is all of us can tend to get off track a little bit along the way because we have so much culture around us influencing us all the time. It's easy to start thinking differently about things than what God says about those things. So in order for discipline or correction to take place, we have to have trusted teachers who are true to the word and we have to put it to the test ourselves of what does God's word really say about that? The Bible says put it to the test. Well, what test do you use? Scripture. That's the test that you, not how it makes you feel, because no discipline seems what at the time? Fun, pleasant, right? You don't put it to the test by, well, that made me feel good. It must be true. That's not the test. The test is, what does God's word really say about it? Whether it makes me feel good or not. Even if it exposes things that I didn't want it to expose. Even if it calls for correction that I don't want to make. That's the discipline, that's the correction that we need to be open to. So I want to encourage you to be open to the, the correction, the discipline of God's word, of the teaching of God's word in your life. And so many of you are. And I want to encourage you to stay with that. You'll never go wrong if you let God's word be the discipline and correction for your life. You'll never go wrong if you let that be the authority for correction in your life. Well, that's the first thing, a willingness to accept correction. The second mark of true repentance is also a willingness to accept care from those that you trust who bring discipline and correction into your life. A willingness to accept care. Look at verse 16 to 18. He says, be that as it may, 
I have not been a burden to you, yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by, he's using humor again, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I've urged Titus to go to you. I've sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Paul is emphasizing to them over and over again in this near the closing of his letter how much he's gone out of his way to show that he loves them, that he cares about them. And that the others that he sent there, Titus and Timothy and others that have gone on Paul's behalf to work with them and minister them, how much they all did what they did solely because they love and care about them. Here's what I have found about discipline in my life. It's never pleasant. But when it comes from sources that I know really love and care about me, it's a little bit easier to take it, isn't it? It's a little bit easier to accept it when you know the motive behind it. It's truly love and concern and care for you. If you don't think they care much about you, then their correction seems harsh. It seems mean. But if you know how much they love you, then it's a little easier to receive it. I, I really believe that's one reason people struggle so much with letting God's word be the authority that corrects their lives is because they don't yet understand how much God loves them, how much God cares for them, how much God has sacrificed for them. You see, it's only then that you can realize his correction is coming from that place of love and care and concern. And when it's coming from there, then even when it's painful, you're willing to work through it and make the corrections and see the results that, that God wants to see in your lives. Uh, Suanne and I went to a wedding yesterday and uh, it was an outdoor wedding, beautiful setting. And again, a passage you know, was read that we use at weddings all the time from 1 Corinthians 13. And it's a great passage and it's talking about love. And in verse six and seven of that section on love, it says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We have been lied to by the world and the culture when it comes to love. We have been lied to over and over again. And it's not new. It's been there the whole time. The lie about love is, if I love you, I'll always agree with you and support you with everything you want to do. That's a lie. That's not even a loving thing to do at all. If the thing they're wanting to do is outside of the will of God for their lives. If it's outside of the will of God, it's going to cause pain and loss and suffering and maybe death. And if you love somebody, you can't sit back and watch them go that way without speaking up, without trying to step in there and bring some correction because you love them. And God loves us too much to let us just go down the path that leads to suffering forever. He won't just sit back and watch that. He didn't just sit back and let that happen. He stepped into our world through his son Jesus to, to bring correction and grace and forgiveness and redirection of our lives. 
You see, you've got to be willing to accept that kind of care into your life to be truly repentant. That kind of loving intervention that redirects us to where we need to go. Because love does not delight in evil, he says in that passage. You see, real love cannot celebrate what God calls evil. It cannot. And yet, we're being asked as a church to celebrate what God calls evil. And many churches are doing that. Love does something else. Love rejoices with the truth about things. That's what love does. It celebrates and rejoices with what's true. Well, you have to determine then, what is your source of truth? Where does truth come from? I believe it comes from the one who said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I believe it comes from Jesus. I believe he's demonstrated himself to be the source of truth through his death, burial, and resurrection. And love rejoices in the truth, not just when it makes us feel good. That's not what the passage says. Love always rejoices with the truth, even when it's hard truth, even when it's disciplinary, corrective truth. Real love rejoices with the truth. That somebody cares enough about me to tell me the truth about this stuff so that I can be directed away from the things that are going to hurt me or hurt others that I don't want to hurt because I believe lies along the way. Got to be having a willingness to accept the care. I love what, uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 11. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... Right? When he says, you who are evil, he's talking about you who are sinful, right? You, you who don't get things right all the time. Even parents that aren't always right uh, know how to give good gifts to their children, right? He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You have to know how much God cares about you, how much he loves you, so that you will allow him to give you his care his provision, his direction into your life. And the key to it all is recognizing God's love for you. It's, it's accepting the fact that he really does care about you personally, individually, and everything about your life and all the details. He cares about it all. And he's got direction and guidance and teaching for you and, and discipline for you and encouragement for you. He's got all you need, all the provision you need for your life. And he cares enough about you to have it there for you and provide it for you. But you have to be willing to receive his care into your life in order to get the benefits of his care. You have to be ready and open to accept it. So we have to accept Correction, we've got to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to accept the care that God wants to bring into our lives if we're going to be blessed by God and be truly repentant of our sins. That's one of the steps in the process. There's a third step in the process of true repentance that Paul talks about, and that is a willingness to accept community. A willingness to accept community. And I want to explain what I mean by that. Let's look at these verses, okay? Verse 19 to 21. 
Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Sounds like a church I don't want to go to, right? I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Paul's saying, I want us to be able to have the church be the community that God planned for it to be, that God designed it to be. And the way God designed the community of the church to be is is a place where we're not having discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and slander and gossip and arrogance and disorder. You see, there's plenty of that out there. We don't need that in the church. There's plenty of that out in the world, in the workplace, in the marketplace. We don't need that in the church. And if we're truly repentance, repentant, if we're truly in the process of repenting the way God has called us to repent, we're not just sorry that we've done those things in the past, and we're not just sorry that, that that's the lifestyle we used to live, and we're not just going to ask, forget God, forgive me for being arrogant and, and, and for having this jealousy I shouldn't have and, and, and for gossiping about, please forgive me. No, it, real repentance means I don't keep living like that anymore. With God's help and with God's provision, I changed how I live my life now. And I want to be part of the community of the church that is a valuable, contributing part of the community, which means I don't bring that into the church family. I don't let Satan use me to tear up and divide people in the church. I don't let Satan use me to take people away from the church. Instead, they see something here that draws them to the church because they want what they see here. They want to experience it in their lives too. True repentance means that you become a contributing member of the community of the church of Jesus Christ. Where you bring value to the church. Way too long we talk about the church like it's something else other than what? It's us. We are the church. We make up the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. That's us. And, and if we want the church to be what God designed it to be, and I think we do, and if we want it to be a good thing and a blessing to people, then we have to be that contributing member that helps it be that. Because we are the church. And if we sit back and complain about the hypocrisy of the church, guess what? We just became part of it of the hypocrisy of the church. It's hypocritical to say, I belong to Christ in this church and then turn around and tear it down. That's hypocritical. Instead, we're supposed to be building it up, contributing to the good of it, making it better than it would be if we weren't there, giving our part to it with our service and our care and our provision and our unity that we bring to the body. You see, we make it better because of our presence and God working through us. All through Scripture, you see 
this teaching that's consistent, and that's this. We're supposed to have this community that God designed, and he started with Israel as that community, and then it transitioned into the new covenant to being the church, being that community, where people can see God through the people that belong to that community. They could see what God's like, how God loves, how God cares, how God provides, how God builds up, how God corrects. How do they see that in real life in the flesh? They see it through God's people. That's how. How do they see what unity looks like? They see it through, they're supposed to see it through the church, and yet the church, given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? We can mess it up. We've divided ourselves in all these different groups and factions and denominations, you know, instead of demonstrating the unity of the body of Christ. And even within church congregations, there's division and backbiting and gossiping and tearing each other down. There needs to be repentance in the church. True repentance. When I say in the church, I mean in us because we are the church, right? We are the church. There needs to be a true embracing of a willingness to accept the community as God designed the community to be. In Romans 12, 15, he describes part of it this way. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Instead, we follow the world and we are jealous of those who rejoice. And we're happy somebody's mourning. That's what the world does. That's not what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to rejoice with people when they're rejoicing. We're supposed to mourn with people when they're mourning, grieving. Matthew 23, Jesus gives us really the key to bringing the church back to the repentant spirit that we need to have, to have to embrace the community that he wants us to be. Here's what he says about his kingdom, his church. The greatest among you will be your what? Your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be what? Humble. But those who humble themselves in God's kingdom will be what? You see, it's an upside down kingdom. That's the whole point. The kingdoms of the world are going to fail and fall and be destroyed. We don't want to be part of that. We want to be part of the kingdom of God. It's an upside down kingdom where we don't have these jealousies and these, these backbitings and these fightings among ourselves and the, these searching after, I'll just go find a teacher to tell me what I want to hear kind of approach. Instead, we'll be having a spirit of repentance and humility before God, where we let God bring correction into our lives. And we will humbly accept that correction and make the changes that he's calling us to make so that moving forward, humbly, we can serve him and help others see him through us. We need to truly adopt what John said. I want people to see more of him and less, than, or less of me. More of him and less of me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that today we've received this teaching from your word. We know your teaching is there for correction and instruction. It's there because you love us. It's there because you want only what's best for us. Your love is so powerful. And because, Father, we know you care so much about us that you would send Jesus to die for us, we gladly accept and receive your discipline into our lives. Help us to make the changes and the corrections. 
Help us to keep moving forward in the things you've called us to, but to do it with humility, to do it while we build each other up and encourage each other, but also hold each other accountable. Help us so that when we're gathered together or we're out there on our jobs or in our communities, wherever we are, people can see Jesus in us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.